He is risen. Uh, I didn't catch you unprepared this time. Good. Uh, It's good to be together uh, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one like him. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles. We've been in 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy, it maybe looks like to you, but uh, it's on page 991 in one of the books the Bible has provided for you in front of you. Of course, if you have a device, smartphone or otherwise, you'll probably find it pretty easily. 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, what looks like kind of the third-ish paragraph, verses 12 through 17. And uh, the key sentence that we're looking at today is this. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world uh, to save sinners. And I was thinking about the times in which we live and how rare it is. I, I, don't, I, I can probably put it on one hand in the last three years. The number of times I've heard someone in a position of authority and leadership say... I was wrong. I can probably say that on that one hand, I can't think of even half a finger where I would hear the person say I was wrong, and I am going to do all I can to make it right. I'll sacrifice my life and treasure and everything I have uh, to set right what I screwed up. That does, you know, if contrition is rare, uh, the follow-through uh, in terms of making things right is far more rare in our time. I don't see it very often in media, be it social media or, uh, you know, national media. Uh, it's just rare these days. And in this uh, church that Timothy is writing, or that Paul's writing to Timothy in Ephesus, there's an awful lot of um, instability uh, the people who are, uh, ought to be uh, leading well are, are leading quite poorly. Uh, they're failing in a number of ways. People are confused. They don't even know what way's up or down anymore. There's so much inf- misinformation. They're not sure what is bedrock, what to take to the bank, what to build their life on. And there's a lot of people with charismatic personalities and gifted people one way or the other. Lots of opinions, lots of talking, as we'll see in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. And, and, and all of that, they're wondering, what is the point? Where is it? And, and they're tempted, actually, uh, to shrink back and to avoid it. In fact, I read twice just this week, I was reading Proverbs 28, and two different verses it says that when the wicked get the upper hand, it's reasonable to shrink back to hide. To hide. And some might think, well, in in such a time when there's all this evil going on, there's all this uh, posturing and posing uh, by people who should have been there for you, either in your family or in your marriage, uh, in in government or in this classroom, it doesn't matter, all kinds of places where things go wrong. uh, and, And we're wondering, what is, what can we bank on? And the Apostle Paul cuts through the chase in in this passage. He says, this saying is trustworthy, is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So that's the sentence I I want to lodge in your your attention this morning. That uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So if you would look with me now, we're going to look at the whole paragraph. I'm going to read, you know, whenever you're studying the word and God's word or anything that you read or take in online or otherwise, it's important to know the context and not take things out of context. That would be unwise and unloving to the person you're listening to. This is what Paul is talking about. It's one of his 
testimonies. In fact, I found, accounted quickly in my mind, I could think of at least six different times that, that the Apostle Paul gives his testimony in the New Testament. This is one of them, one of the more short renditions, but it's straight to the point and it cuts through a lot of the clutter and talking uh, and in a way that's quite striking. So I'm going to read verse 12 through 17. Would you listen with me uh, to God's word? Paul writes to Timothy, his son in the faith, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, no wonder Paul uh, the apostle got, got carried away and, and went on into doxology and to praise uh, given the, the length of your arm, mighty God, how you rescued, uh, as he calls himself, the chief of sinners. Uh, there are many in this room with me. I, I, I count myself as one who is a filthy sinner filled uh, with a heart that I cannot trust and I'm suspicious of with ears that are slow to hear, eyes that are more blind than seeing and time and again I've blown it. We too uh, need Jesus uh, in an ongoing way. I pray that your spirit would now open our ears, give us eyes to see and hearts to receive what you have. And I pray that in this room we would not be impressed with, with one thing or another that men do, that people do in their energy, but, but that we would be rather like uh, here, like a window seeing through a, a preacher, a talker to the truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, that, that we might get that and that we would live like that, that we've gotten it, and that we would glorify you. I know that apart from your Spirit's help, this will be a vain exercise. But because you are risen, we can count on you. In Christ's name, amen. amen. This is uh, written, I think the context matters, and it might be a rather bizarre if you come you know, to Easter, you're expecting a story about the resurrection, explain the theological significance and all that. That is implied in this, because it says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We know he did that by means of dying on the cross, an impressive sacrifice, a life well lived. But uh, uh, the context of this is really quite interesting, what the Lord would have for us today, because here Paul is writing to a church, to a community, a city, uh, a cosmopolitan city in Ephesus, that was just a mess, a mess. Uh, distraction, uh, confusion, like I said, misinformation. There are false leaders. Uh, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing, a horrific thing when, when someone who ought to be there for you, leading you well, uh, guiding you and, and sacrificing and living, living for your, your, your welfare and your, your, your goodness, that they're actually uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. 
Now that can happen in the family, but here we're talking about the church, which is in some ways the worst place that falseness uh, can possibly uh, occur. Because when people fail, we expect that in a way. But when those who know God fail, like in the family of God, it is wretched. And sometimes our inclination is when we see failure in the pulpit or in board members in our lives in some manner, we're tempted to withdraw not just from the church or from other people and leaders, but from God himself. It must not be that we deliberately leave God. Some are sincere, these people who are leading here, uh, and some are ignorant. Paul says that, I was once ignorant. Formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now, I want to read the whole, the whole chapter now of Rome, uh, 1 Timothy because you need to understand what he's about and why he brings up his testimony. And then we'll press into this verse uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. I'd rather that instead of you be impressed with some mighty Easter sermon, that you instead learn how to read the Bible and read the reality that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that would change everything about you, okay? That's my goal here. Uh, and so look at your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we'll read the first verse uh, down to maybe uh, the verse 20 is the final number uh, for chapter 1. Listen carefully, this is a right, a written about 62, maybe 63 AD, Paul's writing to Timothy, he's been sent like a commando, uh, a navy seal into a very difficult situation to get things back in hand, and uh, he has a big task in front of him, so Paul writes this open letter to his protege, to Timothy, a young man in the faith, that he can uh, get this dysfunctional situation back where Christ is at the center and not the personalities of people uh, or opinions. This is what we read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Not to blaspheme. It's interesting, as he's writing, I was thinking about that story. Some of you have seen the film, or you've you've read Mary Shelley's book, uh, Frankenstein. And uh, there's this line that I read about Frankenstein, and it says this. Uh, Someone said, I don't know who it was, but they're right. Knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein is the name of the doctor, not the name of the monster. Wisdom is knowing that the doctor is the monster. Knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein is the name of the doctor, not the monster. Wisdom is knowing that the doctor is actually the monster. Now, what Paul is saying here in this sentence about himself, uh, to kind of bring into, in hand those who are unraveling, those who are misguided, who are you know, promoting themselves above Christ, he is saying, he's leading us in this incredibly strategic way. He's saying... You need to know this. This saying is trustworthy and it should be fully adopted, fully accepted by every human being, by everyone in the church. It's this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost, he writes. Now that's extraordinary for a variety of reasons, but partly because Paul is admitting, I thought I was the doctor that that was fixing the world. I thought I was going to fix and get things ready to go and do well, but to my shock and amazement, I realized I was the monster. I was misguided. I was misplaced. I was ignorant. I was naive. I led astray myself and horror of horrors, others around me, I led astray as well. And I've hurt them. It's been harsh to come to this reality, to understand that I am not a safe person in my flesh, in myself. I need Jesus Christ to keep me in hand, is what he's saying. I need Jesus Christ to keep me in hand. Now, Christianity is a beautiful thing, and perhaps you don't like my approach, but, but the Bible is a very historical document. It's very based on what has been done. And I think right now, with all the misinformation of our time and our age, when perjury and liars and all kinds of things are happening, you're not even sure what is true, what's going on today, here, or elsewhere in the world. And, and in that context, you're not going to get through that by taking in as much data about the here and now and today, about wars and rumors of wars and famines and plagues and market conditions. The way of navigating your day today is not by looking at the present and taking all this news feed data to figure it out. The only way to go forward is to know what was the past, right? What actually happened. And now what's Paul saying? He said, I tell you this, this is a rock for you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
It's on the basis of what Christ did that I navigate today. And if you do enough todays navigating with that sentence, that reality as the baseline and foundation and datum of your life, eventually you are positioned for whatever may come. That's why in the Proverbs it says the righteous person has no fear of calamity. Why? Because Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. And that even if you die, you do not die permanently, for you're safe in Christ. You're only safe in him. He, he says, this is very, very sure. This is 100% certain. You need to know this. And Christianity is a very humble faith. Now, I hope that, uh, that reality that Christianity is a very self-effacing, self, uh, uh, humbling faith appeals to you. I, I imagine that there are some here that, that it doesn't, that they're unwilling to, to listen to the hypothesis that their assumptions, that their approach has been wrong uh, in their life, uh, or even today is, is wrong. Perhaps you have almost, perhaps you have no doubt. Uh, about having done the right things recently or throughout your life. If that's the case, what I'm about to say won't really offend you because you're already full of yourself. But Jesus said this. He... You weren't supposed to laugh there. I didn't have that in my notes. <laughs> that's appropriate. You know yourself, don't you? You know me. It, it, Jesus, it, it says he emptied himself, Christ did this, by taking the form of a servant and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Christ was not full of himself, so you ought not to be full of yourself. You compare yourself to Jesus, and you're going to come short. Amen? Uh, I personally, last three years, a lot of, lot of household leadership mistakes, a lot of trying to do well by, my, by those who are following me and helping me and trying to figure out how to navigate uncertainty and the things you, you hear, the threats, the, the dangers, and I find myself on my knees, and, and all will find themselves on their knees because it says this, that because Christ died on the cross for our sins, he rose uh, from the dead, even, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, but death had no hold on him had no claim on him like we've been singing so God exalted him above every name that at the name of Jesus what does it say every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord right and that's what Paul is really on about with Timothy look Tim all these, these folks, some of them are just accidentally misleading you. They're just naive. They're like the college freshman who got an A in calculus and so thinks he can rush off and build a bridge now. He's not, he's not ready for that, is he, Otto? He's, 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 he and I are engineers. We were solving problems last night around my table. You know, a freshman who passed Calculus 1 is not ready yet for bridge building. Uh, if they build a bridge... You let them go first, okay? Uh, let them go first. Uh, in a similar way, uh, now I understand that when you're, you're eager, let's say, take a more significant thing than a bridge. Let's say uh, you've passed organic chemistry and your aunt gets cancer and you want to try to solve it and heal her and you mean well, but you don't know what you don't know yet. You understand what I'm saying? And that's what's happening here. There are people who've passed Calculus 1. They've heard the gospel. They've received a Jesus uh, Christ. And yet, they're very early, they're, they're, they're misleading, it says. In verse uh, 6 and 7, they've swerved from the truth. They're talking about the law. And you might think, what a great thing. Because the law is this book. They're talking about the book. But Paul says, yes, but they're talking about the book in the wrong way. They're emphasizing the wrong thing. 
They're on about the wrong things. Now, what they're saying isn't exactly wrong per se, because they are using the book, the text, but they're using the text in the wrong way. And Paul says, if you're going to use that and mislead and de deceive yourself, you're, you're going to be deluded. You ought not to say things. And he urges Timothy, uh, hey, y'all, uh, just be quiet. Uh, just let Jesus Christ be declared, right? Let it be known that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he is, a, uh, you know, Paul is more than anyone in the New Testament seems planted church after church after church. So we are meant to be impressed by him. In fact, six, as I said, I, I counted six different testimonies that are, that are laid out. Uh, so it, it clearly was meant to be exhibit A, like he says, that, that I, as the foremost, that Jesus Christ might, me being such a, a screwed up kind of guy, and that Christ was set straight, that Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So anyone who would aspire to lead well in the church, in the family, at your workplace, in your life, do not be a benevolent dictator. You know what I mean by that? You know, benevolent dictator. Because Paul, what did he do? He, he tried to grab people by the ear and set them right because he was so sure that they were wrong and he was right. In fact, let's read that account in Acts chapter 9. Would you, would you turn there, Acts chapter 9, page 917. Uh, Acts 9, this is one of the accounts, a fuller account of, of, on the road to Damascus of, of Paul uh, being confronted with the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead. Uh, and, and he was quite taken aback by it, you would have to say. Uh, but he'll come around, as you'll see, and perhaps you will as well. In uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, uh, now the context is this, the church is growing. There are many who are coming to Christ. There are many who are acknowledging that Jesus, this man from Nazareth, who died on the cross, was buried. He didn't stay dead despite their efforts in sealing the tomb and putting a guard and paying off the guards. And, and there, you know, people like Lazarus risen from the dead. There are all these exhibits and people who knew Jesus, who knew the accounts, who, who could say he saved them from a demon or from death and, and all these things and, and these, this evidence is, is building a momentum and, and Saul cannot tolerate, he cannot stomach it because what's happening is they're going from seeing Jesus of Nazareth as a rabbi to Jesus the son of the living God. They are bowing before Jesus in worship. They are worshiping Jesus. How can this be? This has to be blasphemy, he says. This is the only reasonable thing. They're lying and they're worshiping a man which clearly is fundamentally, uh, you know, breaking the Ten Commandments. And it says in Acts 8.3 that Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house and dragging men and women off and putting them in prison. And then in chapter 9, this amazing moment happens. One of the six accounts. Listen, I'll read it. You can read along if you want. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is the way of following Christ, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and, and falling to the ground, he, said, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. 
He'd been so certain that he was right. Uh, Tony, will you bring up that picture? I brought up a picture from, uh, this is from, I think her name is Rose, Rose Marie uh, Adcock. And this, she li lives or at least sells this stuff down in Illinois. And, and I, I, this is a modern uh, sort of uh, depiction of this moment. And I love Paul's expression. You see his eyes blinded by the light. And you see the sense of astonishment and bewilderment that must have come upon a man who had been imprisoning people, who had said to himself, because these people are so flawed and evil, I in my benevolent do-gooding way must take their children from such evil parents and separate the kids so that they might not be infected by this cult might not be, you know, in, in, infected and infused by these ideas and that, that I throw the mom and dad in prison. All these evil things are occurring. He's doing that in the name of trying to please God and to his complete amazement, God meets him on the road to Damascus and he says, Jesus, uh, the Christ, I am the Lord. And, and he was completely taken aback. Uh, this is, it meant to be an encouragement to you and I that if, if God can save Saul, who, by the way, was renamed Paul, if you didn't know that, he, Christ, can save you. There is no sin so deep, so wrong, that you cannot be rescued from it. Uh, just consider how very, very wrong and misguided Saul, or now Paul, admits he was. Back in our text in 1 Timothy uh, verse 13, he, he puts it quite bluntly. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. A blasphemer is someone who's abusive in their speech. They're slandering uh, what, they, what the true thing, the truth. Uh, persecutor is just a bully. Uh, but this third term is really hits the nail on the head. It's very blunt. Uh, he uses the word insolent or in Greek, or it is hubristes, from which we get the Greek or the English word hubris. And hubris means excessive pride, self-confidence. It's the strongest of these three terms. And we know all about hubris because there's been a lot of talking heads that seem to like, if I just adopt a hubristic way, if I just have lots of pride, uh, I won't reveal that I don't actually know what's going on. I don't know how to solve the issues of our day, but I'll still persuade people to do what I think they should do and manage their affairs better than they do. And that's kind of what Paul's doing. And he put it all together in Acts 26, 11. It says, Paul, I, I was punishing these believers and often in all the synagogues and I tried to make these people blaspheme in my fury against them I persecuted them even to foreign cities he not only denied Christ he tried to persuade others to leave Christ to to blaspheme Christ and to deny the living God in their life he was working hard to eradicate Christianity and the way you have not to be worried, though. If you, if you were with Paul, and maybe right now even, you, you, if you're honest, you're saying, well, I, I've been trying to discourage people uh, from supporting the church. Uh, I've been against Christianity or theism or whatever. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really want that. I've been trying to pressure people or scoff at things or ask hard questions and hopefully get people to see they're naive and hoodwinked. But here it is. God can save Saul. He can save anyone who is ignorant and ignorant isn't a bad word. It just means you don't know what you don't know. Uh, to be ignorant is not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a lack of information. And Paul is, is confronted with the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's risen from the dead. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Okay. That was in my notes. You didn't, I should have passed this out. I, I, I should have passed this out. All right, whatever. Next time. Uh, th listen, and this is extraordinary. If you haven't picked up on this, you need to pick up on this. What does Paul say? 
Again, this saying is trustworthy, deserving of complete, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was the foremost. Is that what he says? No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, well, I, I, yes, I was a bad dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, I was running with hell's angels and all that. And, but that was my old life. Now I'm, now I'm safe. Now you can trust me, y'all. Now let me lead. He doesn't, he doesn't say that at all. He says, you dare not trust me because I am the foremost of sinners. I'm the chief sinners. You got some chief sinners in your life who are trying to dominate, take charge of your life, either yourself and your own ideas? Abandon that way. It's the way of death. The only way of life is for Christ to be Lord. For Christ Jesus to be the boss of your life, as one of my kids would say. For him to come in your life. This is what Paul says. I, not I was the foremost. I am the foremost. And all the psychologists in our presence are like, well, you know, red flag, yellow flag. You can't do that. If you tell people to think this way, that, that might be bad for their ego. And if they have a bruised ego, they might do something desperate to themselves. Like, Paul didn't think that way. He recognized, he had the grit to face the reality that he was a sinner and that sin, the potentiality of sin remained deeply embedded. And, and, and he said, I'm not safe. The only way I'm safe is if Christ is at the charge of it, the fray. I must have Christ. And that's the only hope for the church in the, in the age of misinformation when all kinds of evil things are occurring and people are using the church and abusing the truth and, and leading people astray is that you would come to see that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Which if that's true, that means something very, very profound. It means that if Paul admits that he was an apostle, that he still within him as currently the chief most sinner, a chief sinner, the foremost, that means first, that means me above all, he's saying. That if, if he understood that, that means that none of us can use the failures of man in leadership as an excuse to withdraw from God. None of us can say, well, because thus and such blew it. My daddy did this. I can't worship God as a father because I had such a bad father example. Uh, baloney. Our God is our father. He declares himself that way, but not in sin, but in holiness and in perfection. He says, I'm the bridegroom, Jesus says, who cleanses all uh, the marriages that are disrupted and broken. He says, I am the prince of princes, the king of kings, the lord of lords. I am the president of presidents. You know, anything and everything that's flawed about you in this world, I am perfect. Because whatever is happening in this world and in your heart, it, it all is irrelevant at the end of the day because Christ Jesus, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Which means that Jesus is worthy of your adoration and worship whether or not you have failed yourself or others have failed you. So there's no, there's no room for justifying, uh, you know, withdrawing support from the human persons that the Lord and his providence has put in your way. The Apostle Paul is an exceptional example of someone that God raised up, did a mighty work. A sinner put in the, in, in the leadership position of Ephesus and other places in all of the, the ancient, uh, you know, the Roman Empire in the early days of the church. And he remained a sinner. And because Paul was a sinner, or Peter would blow it, you know, of like the, the chance when, when there was a group coming in and they looked a little different. Like they looked like the Jewish people. And he thought, I want to go back to being a Jew and being well regarded by these dudes. Remember that story? Peter blew it. I will blow it. You will blow it. But Christ 
Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That means when I sin and I fail it, he can rescue me again. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, just think about your life just, just in the last three years because it's easy to, you know, there, you know, 9-11 was a data point. We can all remember there. The, you know, like three years ago, there was some craziness going on. I don't know if you noticed. And, you know, I don't know how you responded, but I bet at some point you thought, something or did something that you regret doing now, that you wish you had done differently, but you didn't know what you didn't know, right? You don't have to hold yourself back anymore. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. You know, even when it was revealed that you weren't quite uh, as courageous a Christian as you had thought maybe you would be. You did not react uh, as loving as you could have done in this, this, that, or the other way. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I love what, what God is able to do. He says, uh, look at verse 13 and 14. I thank him. He's, talking, he's thinking of Jesus, by the way. I thank the risen Lord Jesus who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Wait a second, Jesus. Did you not realize how, how screwed up Saul was? How could you possibly pick him to be a key leader? He wrote more of the New Testament than any other authors uh, that God would anoint th than anyone else. Why, why would you pick that guy? clearly to get across to you and I that what matters in our life is not who we were nor what we are but what Christ has done for us. Yes. Do you understand? That Christ, you're going to be able to, this is a memory exercise. By the time you get to dinner, you'll know this verse. What is it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. You know, at our men's thing, there was this moment where they were imparting a, a, a sort of a, an unction or, a, a, you know, there was a guy who could dance really well and he was trying to pass on that ability to dance to his protege. What, what Paul is doing is, I'm a chief sinner, Timothy. Wink, wink. How are you doing, Tim? Do you consider yourself a sinner? Timothy's like, if Paul says he's a chief sinner, oh my goodness, I am a chief sinner. When you read the story of, or watch a movie, the Frankenstein thing, and you, you come to this realization, and, and I think one of the sad things is you read these stories, you read these, horror, watch these horror things, and, and you think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that Dr. Frankenstein. And then something happens in your life, and you're in the shock, and in a bewildering kind of way, you realize you are Dr. Frankenstein. You are the chief amongst the sinners. And one would say, well, I should despair. Not at all. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he saved Paul. He made Saul into Paul. He can make you into whatever, whatever he wants. He, he can tune a, a broken violin. He can take a violin, put it back together. And then when he puts that bow on it, he can make Paul write Romans. One of the most you know, triumphant, thrilling gospel depictions that you can read in, the, in, all, the, in all the world and all the Bible. And he can take you and he can make you in the mess that you are. And you can go from making kind of yucky apple pie with your life to something that you're like, wow. I don't know how my fingers were involved with that, but that's from the Lord above. Right? He can translate, transpose, transform you. That's what the point of this is. And, and he's writing, remember, to Timothy, who's trying to address people who are really blow, blowing it, really swerving. And you might think he's going to come down with the hammer and like, you guys are out. You had your shot. Bad leaders. Go elsewhere. Go back to the cult of Diana or wherever you're going to go. But leave the church. He doesn't say that. He says, 
I'm a sinner, the chief among sinners, but Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What do you know? Which means any leader, even these guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who are mentioned, who are turned over to Satan, not in, I mean, it's in discipline, but it's not in order to eradicate them. It's in order to eradicate their sins so that they may come back and be restored to Christ and to the fellowship. Amazing. Because the Lord Jesus is not done with us. And it's no wonder he says, uh, Hallelujah, praise the all-powerful one. There in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I am, as I'm growing up in Christ... And uh, getting older, right in front of your eyes, there's fewer hairs on my head than there were last week. <laughs> I have come to the shocking realization that I end my sermons poorly. <laughs> uh, on average, I don't do well at the end. And so I have, with God's gracious insight, decided to delegate the climax of my sermon to someone else, right? <laughs> Yeah, everyone clap. Yay, thank you. He's finally getting it off the platform. Uh, one of our elders is a man named Jim Dorsey. He, he, uh, April 9th is a, is a key moment in his life, uh, in his heart, and in his testimony. And he's going to share a story that's true. And I hope you'll listen and have ears to hear. I am confident that the Lord will bless him as he, as he brings it. Where are you? Come on up, brother. Is this working? Excellent. <clears throat> Happy Easter. I am, <clears throat> as people who know me will recognize, I do have a <clears throat> decent sense of humor, but I often don't bring it up here with me. And so God in his graciousness usually allows something to go wrong in order to inject a little humor to lighten things up a little. <clears throat> A few months ago, I was looking ahead on the calendar to see what day on the calendar Easter fell. And when I saw it was April 9th, I thought, you know, that is interesting. Uh, I feel like I cannot let this day go by without saying something about 10 years ago on this date. <clears throat> so I ran this past uh, Pastor Josh. He agreed. It is something to share. So. As many of you know, um, my healthcare career has been um, one where helping people as a respiratory therapy technician, uh, work in Madison. And it was 10 years ago this morning that I walked into a patient's room to administer a bronchodilator by nebulizer. So as I walked in and said hello, this lady, I think she's in her mid-50s, Sitting up in bed, she looked pretty healthy to me. But as I put things together for the treatment, I asked her, uh, how are you doing? And she looked at me and she said, I am dying. And the resignation in her voice was palpable. So uh, I gave her the nebulizer. She's breathing on it. And I pull up a chair and sit next to her bed. And I asked her, may I ask you a personal question? She nodded. 
How are things between you and the Lord? She took the nebulizer out of her mouth. I don't know. She put it back in her mouth, and these treatments take five to seven minutes normally, and I figured I had a little time to share some truth, so I, I started explaining my story, how I'd come to Christ, <clears throat> that I was a sinner, that I needed a savior, I wasn't able to do it myself. And so I took the next few minutes to explain uh, my story and the gospel. And um, I'm getting ready to leave the room uh, say goodbye, and I look up at the clock, and I see just below the clock is one of those tear-off calendars where each day is a tear-off sheet. And it's interesting, no other floor in the hospital had that dating system, and they only had that for one year. Uh, they went to something simpler after that and less expensive. <laughs> and so, uh, I looked up at that date, April 9th, and I turned to her and I said, do you know, I'll call her Sharon, do you know the significance of this date in American history? She shook her head. I said, this was the day that Robert E. Lee got on his horse and before leaving said, I'd rather die a thousand deaths than do what I have to do now. And he rode the short distance to uh, U.S. Grant's headquarters and there surrendered the Army of Northern Virginia. And on this date, April 9th in 1942, the bulk of the Philippines were surrendered to the Japanese. And 70,000 soldiers on the Bataan Peninsula became prisoners of war. Most of them were Filipino soldiers. And uh, one of them was my dad. So it's not just academic history and he obviously survived the war. But I turned to her and I said, Sharon, wouldn't this be a grand day for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? And she looked at me and she just smiled, didn't say anything, and I left. <clears throat> I came back the next day because I wanted to give her a little bookmark that my wife and I have made up. One side is a photo that my wife captured in our backyard. We called it His Messengers, based on Psalm 104.4, where uh, it says he makes his angels messengers and his ministers flames of fire. As an aside, if anybody here has October 15th as a significant day, that's when this was taken. <laughs> it has a history now in the last 10 years. So <clears throat> I came back, uh, on the other side of that is an invitation written in a way that it comes from God for each of us to trust him and establish a relationship with him. So <clears throat> I didn't see her again. A few days later she was discharged and I learned about five weeks later that she had succumbed to cancer. So <clears throat> what I'd like to say to the folks here who are on the fence or have not have decided against Jesus, that uh, like the Apostle Paul, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Uh, let me read what it says on the, on the other side of this. I use it like a tract, but it's, it's pretty and I call it a bookmark so they don't feel like they're being invaded. 
I fast, this is God speaking. I fashioned you for myself and have known you all your life. Everything about you, your hopes and dreams, the disappointments, the failures, every hurt you have suffered, the tears. I know all about the sin, but I love you still. So much so that I sent my son, my only son, to die on the cross in your place so that the dividing wall between us could forever be torn down. Now I invite you to begin a relationship with me. I will forgive every sin and give you my Holy Spirit as a proof of your permanent place in my family. So that when this life ends, we, you and I, will enjoy our relationship forever. That's my promise. Will you accept my offer? Will you take my hand? Now I'd like to say one more thing. <clears throat> For those who think surrender might be a, uh, a theological term, let me make it personal, telling a little bit of my story. When I was 16, uh, I had enough jobs in order to pay my lunch at school, high school. I had enough to buy my own clothes. And when I got a little bit older, I bought my own car with my own money. I maintained it with my own money. And I paid the insurance, which was pricey. But by the time I was 20, I was a little bit tired of being the boss in my life. Um, I was, by that time, pretty used to making decisions for myself. Uh, and I was pretty happy with that. But I, I came to the place when I was 20 that there was something else I wanted, and that was I wanted the forgiveness be, that comes from God because I knew I was a sinner, and I wanted the promise of eternal life. But between me and that goal was this wall, and that wall was surrender. For me, it wasn't just academic. I really did. Uh, have to come to the place where I would surrender control and let God be the boss instead of my being the boss. So, I would invite anybody here who is <clears throat> sitting on the fence wondering whether this choice is worthwhile. Believe me, there's probably nobody here who's trusted Christ who would go back and say this was not worthwhile. It's definitely the best decision I ever made. I would encourage you to choose Jesus sooner than later. Um, <clears throat> there's a, um, last week, Allie Brumbaugh read from uh, children's story, The Pilgrim's Progress, and the author, John Bunyan, wrote another little ditty that I really like. It says, um, run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. The Leipz children are going to memorize this, I know. <laughs> Will you join me in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we are rejoicing today in the truth that your Son, our Lord, is the risen King. For those of us who know him as Savior, our blessed hope is he. Words fail us in describing just how grateful we feel to be included in your family. 
that growing family who will forever praise and honor and glorify your son, Jesus Christ. Oh yes, he is worthy. Thank you, Jesus, for, endur for enduring the cross in my place, despising the shame, taking our sins upon yourself, making possible a fellowship with you now and for all eternity. As the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, faithful and true, you are worthy. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word and your ministry in using scripture to open our eyes to understand better your character and your gifts to us. Today, we also desire that you roll back the veil of deception that prevents some here from seeing their need for a savior. Let them see Jesus as the only way, the truth, and the life. We know that's your desire too, because you wrote that you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And you have also said you desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In your mercy and grace, may it be so today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>